everyone. Welcome to the Felicity Optimist versus Cynic podcast with us, your hosts, Melissa and Fish. This is the Felicity Rewatch podcast. We'll watch an episode each week and join you here to talk about it. Just a quick reminder, this is not a spoiler-free podcast, so there may be some things, especially in this episode, that we talk about that might prompt discussion about what happens in future episodes. So if you haven't seen all of Felicity, just beware that this is a really fun podcast. So stick with us if you can. So I am Melissa and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Fish. Fish, how are you doing today? I am a little tired today, Melissa. So I tend to ramble when I'm tired. You're going to have to cut me off and keep me going in the right direction. Okay, I, I consider myself warned. I feel like that led to really good things last time, though, uh, yes. and a 10 out of 10 episode for you, which I'm still reeling about, by the way, uh, <laughs> for Todd Mulcahy Part 1. So I'm very excited to see where we end up with this one. This is a conversation about Season 1, Episode 14, Todd Mulcahy Part 2. It's the second two-parter that we've gotten uh, in terms of episodes here at Felicity in this first season. It originally aired February 16th, 1999. This one also was both written and directed by J.J. Abrams. So he did everything there was to do for both (laughs) Todd Mulcahy parts one and part two. Now I'm going to go ahead and read this description, Fish, but here's the thing. I have so many notes about this episode, but when I read this description, we're going to end up talking about something that's not in our notes. So here it goes. TV Guide says... That this episode was about this. Todd gets hit by a bus, and as he arrives at the hospital, he gives Felicity a note she wrote years ago about being an artist. Todd almost dies, which causes Felicity to rethink her career path and blow an interview with Dr. McGrath. Also, Julie mails a tape to Carol, and Elena severs ties with Tara slash Tara. Uh-oh. Yeah, right? So <laughs> I, re- I read this. <laughs> I usually get the descriptions on Wikipedia and then I was like, okay, well maybe Wikipedia isn't the source that I thought it was. (laughs) And so I went to TV guide and the Wikipedia description was the TV guide description. So here's the deal. I would ask you where you want to start, but I guess we need to address the elephant in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Elena severs ties with Tara. (laughs) Yeah, that, that didn't happen. Didn't happen. We never saw that. We saw Tara slash Tara in one episode and never again. That's so weird. I guess maybe they get the pre-edited version or or a version before it goes on TV and then they write up their thing and I guess the scene got cut. Or somebody really wanted closure. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, uh, listeners, are we missing something? Did the original airing have this and then like the DVD version didn't? I What's going on? I mean, it can't be, right? Because we saw an episode of the length that every other episode is. And they had to do so much in this episode. I have proof. I have, not only do I have a page of notes, I have notes in every crevice. Um, so, and that's without the Elena Severs ties with Tara part. So I thought I was going out of my mind when I saw that in the description. Okay. <laughs> like, did I just miss an entire, a whole section of story here? Um, well, we might just, we might have to say spoiler here because I'm going to ask, I mean, does that 
ever happen? No. We literally, to my to my memory, from which, uh, admittedly, at this point, might be faulty. I believe we only ever ever saw her in the Friends episode, and then never again for the rest of Elena's life. <laughs> so, like, I um, was not expecting to see this in a description. I don't even know how it could have been in a an and the pre-edited pre-final version of this because we really did see a full-length show um if somebody was trying to do that in addition to the rest of the stuff they did here they were not going to succeed in terms of time so goodness ah well just i just wanted to stun you as much as possible here at the beginning uh but Look, let's not spend too much time talking about something that actually didn't happen in the episode. Let's talk about what did. Where do you want to begin? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Todd Mulcahy part one. Huh. It was charming and hilarious and weird. It was like all the things uh-huh. that I wanted. Huh. And then Todd Mulcahy part two. I don't know whether this is sort of the reaction I would have had to this last week or if it's just kind of things going on in my life, but almost every character was just pissing me off. Wow. This entire episode. Okay. (laughs) Just pissing me off, like all of them. Yeah. Huh. So like pick a character and we'll just start there. Yeah. Well, just for the sake of it, can we start right at the opening? Because I would not say that I had the experience of the characters pissing me off, but there were some people at the very beginning who were, did you notice when they were, the, the medics and the doctors were wheeling Todd into the emergency room, they were moving so slowly. (laughs) This man was broken in a million places. He was bloody. He was a mess. He was about as much of a mess as you might be if you were hit by a bus. And it's just like they were ambling to get their cup of coffee for the day. I was like, guys, can we have some sort of urgency here? Slow medics, huh? Yeah, I mean, I guess they could have made the hallway longer, but... I mean, it <laughs> yeah. took them like as much time to get him through the doors uh, as, you know, I mean, he had to give Felicity this note. You know what? That is what the problem was. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Ford hallway. They had a lot to achieve. He had to tell her there was a note. She had to fish it out of his jeans pocket and she had to like notice, oh, this is a, a letter that's covered in his blood. Yeah. Uh, and they had to do all of that between when the medics show up and when they get him through the doors to the emergency ward. That's what the problem was. You nailed it. Yeah. They were like, we, we know this takes five seconds when you're at a run. So we're going to need to stretch this to 30. Mm-hmm. I need you to walk the slowest pace that a medic has ever walked in an emergency. Yeah. Um... Wow. I mean, I did notice that. And I was like, oh, you know, she's fishing the note out of his pocket. So, you know, I can understand being pissed off by those people. But 
I think that was an issue of, uh, of the set, really. You raise a really good point here. That's why they pay you the big bucks and not me. Um, so many dollars for this. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> dollars just everywhere. All the dollars. Huh. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I obviously chose to begin somewhere that's completely irrelevant and is never going to be mentioned ever again, but I know well, you were really aggravated by the main characters. So, well, I mean, we can start here though, because what does she do? She's got this guy, Todd Mulcahy, right? Uh-huh. And he, although fully hilarious when we watch it, you know, she has just seen him be hit by a bus. Uh-huh. So probably less hilarious for her. Yeah. And like she is kind of slowing down the medics by letting him like give her this note that she wrote yeah and then she's just standing in the hallway reading it Hmm. like get on the phone with his parents or something like this is not about you like this Uh this entire episode everyone i don't know it just reminded me of like how (laughs) self-absorbed people can be especially when they're young but not just when they're young um so yeah her standing there and opening the note to like read it kind of pissed me off okay well he had given her a note it seemed very important to him and she didn't actually know anybody in his life to be able to make phone calls well figure it out come on well yeah I mean, I guess, wouldn't that be the hospital's job to figure out the emergency contact if they could have figured out what his insurance was? They like, went to high school together. Like, she just was in town and saw him buying a turkey. Like, she can call some people. That's true. But I don't know. Would you have? Yes. I would have tried to like, get in touch with somebody. Yeah. But I guess, would you have a relationship or like even? I guess at the time we knew people's phone numbers memorized um, yeah. for their home. Yeah, I guess it was possible, right? But she knew him from summer school. That's true. So summer I don't school. know but if still, she... she knows the basic area and she knows his last name. Okay. Like, get the yellow pages. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Or the white pages. I um, mean, if they owned a business, sure. Isn't it the reverse? Isn't it white pages for uh, like personal contacts and yellow pages for business? I don't know. Well, see, that's the thing, right? (laughs) This this show takes you back in time. Have you thought, have you given more than five seconds thought to white pages or yellow pages uh, since early 2000? I have, surprisingly, because I was listening to a streamer on Twitch. And for some reason, we were talking about whether the yellow pages still exist and how, you know, um, how guys were going to show that they were really strong if they no longer had them to rip in half. Wow. That's the thing, huh? Right. Well, it was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to find some other really big book. I mean, are there any other books like that? Like a dictionary, but those are usually hardbound. Right. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's a real, it's a real problem. Yeah. Well, we're really uncovering this seedy underbelly of (laughs) yellow pages, white pages, and all things late nineties technology or lack thereof. 
So, okay. Well, I see what you're saying. You wanted her to be taking some other action here. I mean, yeah. And it's not like this was the biggest thing that pissed me off because she, you know, we then go into this whole scene where instead of staying with him in the hospital and like she just she just leaves him there alone with nobody and opens the box that he sends her and starts like slow-mo eating Malamars. Mm -hmm. She just covers her room and all this stuff. She starts like looking at, you know, she's having some sort of, I don't know, crisis within herself of what am I gonna do with my life while this guy is in the hospital? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, she doesn't know if he's gonna live or die and she's just left him alone and she's thinking about like her dad and she's thinking about um you know just i don't know I, yeah i think i mean i wrote my notes she's she's guilty and she's shaken um, she's watching dead poet society yeah it's not really a psych up movie when you're when you got somebody in the hospital yeah. yeah well so i'm i was not happy with that and then of course she continues to make it about herself by blaming herself and saying oh it's all my fault because you know he i i shouldn't have i don't know said whatever i said to him and then he wouldn't have been in the street and noel comes in and what does he say he's not like how's your friend he's like you're eating his cookies mm -hmm. which i also kind of thought you're eating his cookies. Mm -hmm. But the way he said it was like accusatory. Yeah. For it was himself. like, oh, okay. So that's where we are in our relationship now. You're eating his cookies. Right. Yeah. And he sits down and he says uh, to her, whatever existential crisis, uh, she's telling him that her life, she's lost track of it. She's feeling meaningless. And he's just like, well, you have an excellent boyfriend. It's true. He does say that. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and he walks into a situation too, where it's like for, you know, however many days that Todd Mulcahy was trying to track her down in, in part one, uh, you know, she was trying to keep it contained. You know, she was really annoyed when he was popping up in different places in her life. And she was kind of keeping the care package all boxed in. And then he walks into this room and the care packages everywhere. All the contents are everywhere. Yes, it has there was exploded. so much stuff in a room. I thought to myself, I know the box was big, but yeah. how could it have been that big? I mean, she had everything. She had Pepsi and Coke and you said Orange Crush and she had Fritos and she had Lifesavers and Doritos and Malamars and art supplies and Cracker Jacks. I wrote it all down. There's a lot of other stuff we couldn't identify. Um, so much other stuff. And it's all over her room. So he walks in to a room that's just festooned with Todd Mulcahy paraphernalia. <laughs> like, and she's watching Dead Poets Society and she, it's like a very different vibe than he might've had before. Yeah. But and he's threatened. Well, cause he, I don't know. I mean, I feel like he's slightly, maybe a little bit unsettled, but I mean, again, the guy is potentially on his deathbed. I mean, how mm -hmm. threatened could he be? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I mean, they just, they don't really seem to care much about 
Todd as a human being. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, and when they seem to care about him, it seems to be um, in this very fake kind of, I mean, Felicity putting up the, the license plate on her, you know, little mirror stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It just really bugged me because I don't know. She's signaling that he's like important to her all of a sudden. And all of this stuff is so meaningful to her. <sighs> it's so unfortunate you're having this reaction because, um, uh, it's really important that the that like the stuff that's coming out of this, the crisis that she's having, a lot of the stuff they've they've set up here in the, this two part episode is incredibly important for the shape the show will take. Definitely for the back half of this season, and I would even say some of this stuff is going to have ripple effects long after this. And, you know, to bring back that central question of doctor versus artist, the like kind of doctor or artist, which by the end, she kind of makes it doctor and artist for some amount of time. This, all this stuff is actually really, really important to the way the show is going to develop from here forward. But if they got there in this episode and for you, you feel like it's sort of trivialized by them, just sort of, well, they're just thinking about themselves again. Um, like, I wonder if they could have done it in a way that would have achieved the goal without making you feel like, what's Todd, just a piece of meat? Yeah, I agree. Cause I can see how important it would be to the future. And I did pick up on like a couple of little things. Like, for example, I noticed Felicity did better than Elena in the test, mm. which I did not expect. Um, but you know it's it's not so much that that this experience is trivialized because i get that she's going through something and noel also gets that she's going through something and then she you know snaps at him i think fairly rightly so um but i i just feel like yeah, they could have done it in a way that showed her being like empathetic and kind and caring about what happens to this person instead of, you know, yeah, I'm going to go back and I'm going to like bring him some stuff and like I'm going to put his stuff all around my room. Um, I don't if know. they had done this instead of having that scene back in her room if it had been in the hospital waiting room would that have changed this for you like if she had brought the box with her to the waiting room or even if she had just been reading the letter because it's the reading of the letter that shakes her um and you know, being back in a room, she has all the stuff in the in the box and all the stuff that he's given her to sort of like immerse herself in it. But the real thing that like prompts her into the existential crisis is reading the letter and seeing the words that she wrote when she was younger, the same words that she was grappling with in the pilot and the start of the series, you know, this whole like 
don't want to be following in my father's footsteps. And, you know, like, do I want to be an artist or a doctor? And those were things she was thinking of at the start of the season too, to some degree. And now, you know, reading it back and seeing that this guy has charted it as early as summer school for her. I think that's what makes her uh, be in this tailspin. So if they had just like had her reading the letter in the waiting room of the hospital and not having actually left, would that have made this? um, Yeah, I think if, if she hadn't, so she takes it out of his pocket. If she hadn't read it right there, but instead had like gone back to the waiting room and sat down and like looked sort of shocked for a while. And it was clear she was going to stick around and then sort of slowly opened the letter and read it and, you know, started thinking about things, but stayed in the waiting room until say like a doctor came out and said, you know, there's really nothing you can do here or, you know, her friends are coming in and out or somebody showed up for him. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I would have really liked to see her stay by his side. And then if she has this sort of existential crisis as she goes, that's fine. Um, But I think you don't leave somebody who's come across country like, and is alone in the hospital because Mm -hmm. you always need an advocate in the hospital. Yeah. so that part just, I don't know, it, it really bugged me. Well, I think we came up with a somewhat easy solution, but they shoehorned in so many, you know, they, I guess they were doing this for convenience sake. They did a lot of stuff in this episode. So I guess they were looking for convenience and telling the story they wanted to tell. Cause ultimately we're never going to see Todd again, ever. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> like this is it. This is all we're ever going to get of Todd. And, um, so like, he's not important actually in the show himself. He's important in what he, but he's the most important two episode character I think we'll ever see based on like the ripple effects he's now created. Um, it's kind of interesting to think about him because I can't, I can't think of any other character we're going to see for one or two episodes that leaves so much of a mark, um, on future plot, but you know, he himself is all the two episode guy. <laughs> it's like, we're, we're not, you know, or I don't know how attached we're meant to get to him. So I think for the sake of expediency in the plot, they just kind of moved these characters around the way they needed to. But the problems that you're having with it, it sounded like it could have been very easily resolved by her just like staying in the hospital until somebody said, he's awake, you can go now. Um, like or he's not going to be awake for a while you can go now yeah I mean that that would have definitely made me feel better about it because you know she leaves and he's still alone while she's doing all the rest of the stuff you know Mm -hmm. she's going in and looking at the art room and some guys start checking her out you know and I mean, they do go back to the hospital as a group and, you know, they're, I mean, they have the, the scene, Elena's talking about what it's like to be in a hospital. And I, I think that's fine. You know, she's like, it's, it's like home. Um, 
and Julie's <laughs> smelling the air, which I agree. It it smells there's a there is a hospital smell. Um Noel is completely not helpful at all, telling another one of his stories mm-hmm. about uh being hit in the face with a ball. Um his brother is, is I think it was a was it baseball brother yeah his his brother throws a baseball at him while he's in a tree and breaks his nose he falls out of the tree lands on his arm breaks his arm yeah and it causes everybody to start laughing yeah i mean it is kind of funny but then everybody's laughing and i get felicity was not laughing i i noticed that Mm -hmm. so i appreciated that but you know but i don't know i like that scene in terms of um something about the formation i like it when i like it when shows do a formation like that where everybody's sort of in like a pyramid shape or you know um everybody's looking at something in a room all facing the same direction not looking at each other uh in this case all of them were looking into todd mulcahy's room which was a a hospital room which was basically looking dead into the camera um and I don't know, I kind of like that formation and just that that approach. Um, I There was another show that did something like that with a very different tone. Um, I, I remember One Tree, Hill, One Tree Hill did that in season six. Very, very different tone to that episode, also in a hospital. And um, I don't know, something about that I really like. I don't know what it is that I like so much about that. I think there's a certain way that the characters have to interact with each other when they're not looking at each other. And they all seemed really synced up with each other in this particular scene. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it might also come back to, I think we were reading some stuff on Instagram that said that they were really good friends. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you, you know, kind of felt it, to, right? Because when you're, yeah. when as an actor, if you can't look at the other person, you don't have as many cues you can pick up on. So to see that, you know, in this case, they had, what was that, six people eventually in formation, none of them looking at each other. Um, but all, it, it just felt like they were really, the timing was right. They were really in a groove. And I, I think you're right. I think that comes from a certain chemistry between the whole group. And of course, in that moment, Sean shouts out his vending machine, uh, his disposable camera vending machines, which are in the maternity ward. Mm-hmm. So I like that they continued that thread. That's the reason why he's in the hospital. Everybody else is there to see Todd. Um, did Felicity stay in the hospital when everybody left and then go into Todd's room alone? Or I think she might have come back another time. Well, I'm looking at my notes. So... Because he was unconscious when they were looking at him in the hotel, in the in the hospital room. But when she comes back, he's awake. So presumably some amount of time has elapsed. I'm guessing yeah. that she left and she came back again, that well, she's she been visiting him somewhat regularly. So they, they talk about the chicken and then we get the whole Richard thing. But for me, the next thing I wrote down about Felicity is the art room. So mm-hmm. she goes through the whole art room thing before she goes back, right? Mm-hmm. And like spends the night there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think at least the rest of that day and that whole night and probably a good part of the next day has all passed. Okay. Yeah. Before she goes back. 
So she's visiting maybe daily at some point. Um, but the, the next time she goes back, he is awake. And so they are actually able to have a conversation. And, and she's done a lot of internal work between the first words he said in this episode and that next time. Um, because in the interim, she has been deeply unpacking everything that he has said to her. Uh, she, she says to Noel at one point, you know, t- this strange guy comes into my life and criticizes how I'm living it. And I think he's right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's basically only repeating back to her the words she has told him, which I always think is interesting in a conversation with somebody when it's like, no, this isn't my interpretation you said these words to me. And so that's the only thing I can possibly know about you. And to hear that back, um, you know, shook her in a major way. Um, You know, she's been thrown back into that fundamental question of, you know, am I going to be an artist or a doctor? And the words that she said in her letter were, you know, when I may, when I grow up, I know I'll have to make a decision. I'm happy that day is not today. And those words get repeated back to us at the end of this episode when she continues to defer that decision. Um, So there's a lot of really big things that she's been grappling with in between all of these times when she visits him. And Taja still wants the kiss. Yeah. That's it. He's a simple man. He still has a one-track mind. (laughs) Um, But You don't understand. You're making me think all these things. It's like, Yeah. Uh, so the kiss, (laughs) I know. And (laughs) I don't know. I'm willing to have a little bit more sympathy for him because he was the one that got hit by the bus. Right. So like, okay, he does, (laughs) does kind of guilt her into it by Uh saying, you know, I did come all the way here and get hit by a bus for you. Yeah. So what more does that guy have to do to get this kiss? Yeah. I mean, he fractures his liver. I don't think that's a thing. I don't think it's a thing either, right? There's I'm just going no this bones. right now. No, there are no bones this. in your liver. Yeah. So. <laughs> Fractured liver. Let's just let's just see what maybe comes up from a search like this. But you keep talking. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> go on a research mission. I'm seeing liver laceration. Yeah, cutting makes sense. Mm-hmm. Fracture implies bone. Liver fracture and bleeding. Oh. You know what? I'm not prepared to discount this entirely just yet. Look, folks, I'm not going to spend time on this podcast <laughs> looking up liver fracture and, and reading it back to you. All I'm saying is I'm not prepared to say it's nothing. All right. I mean, what do we know, right? I mean, well, I'm not very staff. much. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, I mean, all right. I mean, it seems serious because... When she does lean over to give him the kiss, I mean, he codes immediately. Flatline. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I do feel like they they set the timing up so that, I mean, I thought it was nice that she brought him stuff and she remembered stuff about him when he was a kid. Um, she brings him she- whoppers, goldfish, yes. and a whole series of comic books, but his favorite was The Punisher. And she, she couldn't remember what was his favorite, but he remembered stuff about her, but I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. So, she and she gives guess. him the kiss. Yeah. yeah. And she gives him the kiss and she says to him, you know, I hope, hope you're doing well and all that kind of stuff. So I think they've set it up to, you know, 
for her to be less guilty when he does kind of code and for all of this stuff because we've I mean, really, she's not looking too great at the beginning of this episode, uh-huh. but the fact that he's still alive, the fact that she does come back and, and do all this stuff, and the fact that he has a fiance. Oh, my goodness. Right. These all kind of help us feel better uh-huh. about kind of Felicity and what she's doing. My My bigger problem with that scene was well, not with that scene, but it was actually the scene before that. So first you have Felicity just ditching this guy at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then when she's going to go back, she, it's like she's in another world and she's not communicating with Noel. He's asking her what's wrong. She's focused on this other guy, but really because he's had an effect or because early her has had an effect on later her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're just, she does snap at him and say, like, not every problem can be solved by coming to you. And we talked about that earlier about how he likes to, to solve problems. Um, or just specifically hers. <laughs> he leaves everybody else in the lurch, but he likes to solve yeah. her problems. And then we've got a little, you know, Richard coming by saying, if you guys break up, it'll screw up my life. I know it's just like one after the other. Everyone is so focused on themselves. Yeah. So, well, but uh, I, I don't, I suppose this isn't defense of anybody as much as like, a, let's just bring Todd down to that level too. We find out with the reveal that he's been doing the same thing you're complaining everybody else is doing with his own fiance, right? Like he, yeah. he, he codes. Felicity yeah. watches all these doctors wheel him out of the room and, you know, so he can get him into emergency surgery. And in walks this blonde with some flowers yeah. ready to see this that guy. guy. Oof. And she says, uh, you know, is where's Todd's room? This is like, oh, this, this was it, you know? And she's, she, she's like, who are you? And this one's like, oh, Todd's fiance. And Felicity just gives her this look like, how could this possibly be? How does this compute with everything else I understand about this last two episodes? And then she says, oh, you must be Felicity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, wow, this woman, at the very least, uh, she has been fully aware of the journey that Todd's been on. So there's that, but she had to swallow her pride and say, okay, you have this mission. You have to see what's going on with this Felicity character. And I just have to let you go. If you're really mine, you'll come back. Uh, That's where he left her to show up in New York. And I would say out of all the things that piss me off in this episode, that probably pisses me off the most and not, not, on Todd's part either, on Rebecca's part. I am super pissed at Rebecca because if your fiance says, oh, I don't know if I really love you. I knew this girl when I was 12 and I'm obsessed with her and I just saw her while I was turkey shopping and I'm gonna go fly across the country and kiss her to decide you know, whether I have a life with her and if you can just like stay here and wait for me, that would be cool. No, 
And a step further than that, she says that he'd been depressed and I can't remember what the time frame was on that, but it was six months. Yeah. So he had been, six months is a pretty long time to be, uh, to be fully immersed in depression and seeing Felicity when he was turkey shopping is the thing that pulled him out of it. It's the thing that motivated him and like gave him a sense of purpose again. There are a lot of red flags here for Rebecca. Yeah. And, you know, if I'm Rebecca and I'm sitting at home and I find out that he's been hit by a bus, I'm not jumping on a plane and going out to see him. I mean, I'm sending flowers to the bus driver. Like, that's it. I'm done. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we've had listeners, we've had a lot of discussions about boundaries here (laughs) on this episode and are Rebecca's in the right place? Well, they're hers. So I guess so, but uh, are they where you would put them? Yeah. Yeah. I, I see a lot of concerning things here for the future of Rebecca and Tom. Well, and not for nothing, but when all of that's said and done, you know, we get through the whole crisis. Rebecca finds out Todd's going to be okay. We get towards the end of the episode and they're, they're wheeling a very beat up looking Todd with bandages everywhere into, uh, into his van to get into, I guess, to the airport. And Rebecca helps them get in you know, they've got the automated chairlift to get into the van. She walks right back around to the other side of the van to help him get in. And he uses that opportunity to say to Felicity, it really was a good kiss. He's still hitting on her. He's still hitting on her. I don't know if this is the closure I want for that situation (laughs) for him. And definitely it's not what I want for Rebecca. No. And Felicity's like, get on, get in the van. (laughs) (laughs) How do we make this thing go faster? Um, Yeah. Is there a faster speed? Yeah. I don't know. A lot of things that are concerning. So I guess if you were feeling like all of these main characters owed this Todd guy a little more, at least Felicity did to show him some, give him some credit. This man came to New York, he got hit by a bus, like at least don't leave the hospital. But here he is leaving his own fiance in the lurch. And it's just a, you know, if you get hung up on that in this episode, you're going to get really hung up and you're not going to be able to listen to anything else that's going on. Because it's like, it is at the same time really important that some of these characters are thinking about these major questions, um, particularly Felicity. So it's like, I don't know if I would undo that crisis that she's having in order for her to take better care of Todd. If there were small concessions they could make in like, for example, that what we said about like having her be in the hospital for more of it. Um, I don't know how you show it as easily in that case, but I'm sure they could have found a way. Uh, But I still feel like she needed to go through this and, um, and they need to get her into the studio. They need to set up all the stuff that's going to happen there. So it's like, they were really doing a lot of work to set up the future. 
And every, in order to do that, every single person in this episode, I guess, had to be completely self-focused. And they were. Yeah. Well, they made it happen. I mean, to a degree, though, I feel like, where's the line for you? Because I think introspection is really important in life and in art. And I wouldn't want characters that never go around analyzing themselves of the world because then I don't think they grow. So can you ever have that for you personally, can you ever have somebody exploring really deep internal questions and like not feel annoyed with them? Yeah, absolutely. Just not when somebody has been, you know, almost killed and you're leaving them alone in a hospital like maybe that's what you should be introspective about like because even if todd was worse than he actually is you still like he's still a person right Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you don't just abandon a person in that situation yeah so that was what i had a problem with well It'll be interesting. I'm not going to spoil this, but in season three, we'll maybe kind of encounter a similar sort of a quandary. And I'm curious how you'll think they handle it at that time. If um, like in terms of characters really thinking about their own stuff versus dealing with somebody else's trauma. Um, I don't know. We'll see. They've set up a path here with this one, but Todd was meant to be a more minor character. So they didn't give a lot of room for him to have a ton of development. They did a surprising amount for what they were able to do in those two episodes, but it was really about like, how can we make this one character cause as many future changes as possible? Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's not about him being a good guy or a bad guy, just being a person. Like mm-hmm. you don't do that to people. It's not yeah. okay. So I don't know. I mean, we can, we can skip by it and just start talking about the art versus doctor kind of existential crisis that she's having at the moment. Although I'm still going to be pissed off by some of that, even though it has nothing to do with Todd. <laughs> Yeah, well, so this is, I guess there are a few different ways that they weave this into this episode where there is the fundamental question, which underlies it all, which is she, I think it's really, you know, what's raised in her letter of, should I be an artist or should I be a doctor? I know I'm going to have to make a decision at some point. I'm glad that day is not today. I think for me, what's most important is this idea of artist or doctor. And then this idea of artist and doctor, which she's not really considering a lot when she's looking at the, um, when she looks at it as like, this is binary, I have to make a choice. She's not looking at the potential that both of those things can have in her life. But I guess that is to some degree what happens in college, right? Because you pick a major, you're like, oh, I have to do this or I have to do this. When you're pre-med, you know, there are certain majors that you take in college where you have so many requirements that you don't get a lot of opportunity to take other courses that aren't related to that. And, you know, pre-med is, I'm sure, one of them. So for her, it is more of a binary choice when as an adult later in the world, like 
you could easily do both things. Um, so it's for her really important that it's an either or right now to cause this existential crisis. And she's trying to figure out which one she wants and what it means, the decision she makes. Yeah, and I think it depends a lot on the environment that you're in and whether they cultivate sort of free thinking or whether they cultivate more adherence to the program. So, you know, if you're going through West Point, I mean, they're going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. If, if you're going to a liberal arts college, then maybe there's more room. And it feels like from the fact that um, Ben and her even early on couldn't get a lot of courses that there is a pretty heavy core curriculum. Mm-hmm. So there just may not be as much room, um, especially if they have to accommodate a lot of students, even in the elective courses, which we've you know, heard that all the studio courses are taken up for the entire year. Mm-hmm. Um, they just have too many students and not enough teachers to allow for something more creative because um, I had a friend from high school who, when he went to college, he, he triple majored, but- Oh my gosh. Yeah, he brought together three different um, areas. Mm-hmm. So it was computer science, uh, medical field, and art. And what he ended up doing was making these computer-generated art installations of like DNA or, you know, other like parts of like blood systems and and stuff like that. And it was just a a really cool kind of combination of things that I think if you're in a place that allows you to do something like that Mm -hmm. um, and you're the kind of person who takes that on, then you can do that. Um, So, yeah, I think it, it just sort of depends. And she was not raised in a, in a family that was going to say, you know, do both and figure it out. It was, you know, her dad said, do it this way. And so far she's done it that way. Yeah, exactly. And so we're going to end up seeing, I think, two ways that this gets explored in this episode. One is that she actually physically enters a studio and she has experiences there. And then the other is that she's just taken this test from the Dr. McGrath seminar. And now she has to go into the interview, the one-on-one interview with him. So those are the two ways that she's going to have to further explore this concept of like artist or doctor. And I think both of them get explored in a slightly different way, which one feels like one you want to tackle first. Um, Well, the interview happened first, so maybe we can start there with the, um, the continuing onset of her verbal diarrhea. (laughs) She just sits in the interview and decides to speak what she's thinking out loud saying, oh, um, why should I be in your seminar? Because, well, I'm thinking about being an artist (laughs) and kind of rightly so, uh, Dr. McGrath says, get out. Yeah, a thousand bonus points. So this actor's name is Chris Sarandon. A thousand bonus points are his face right after she says that. 
Yeah. He's just, he looks like he has now officially checked out of the conversation, even though she continues to talk. He's just <laughs> like, when do I get to say you have to leave this room? <laughs> I mean, you know, he's dealing with freshmen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what do you uh, want? Frosh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, I do boy. really like the way he played this character, mm-hmm. um, even though I, you know, he doesn't seem like a great guy, mm-hmm. but but the acting is very good. Yeah, we'll see him a few times because Felicity keeps knocking on his poor man's door. Uh, and so this is the first time, the one where he's doing the official interview with her. And she says, I'm thinking about maybe being an artist. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and remove your name from consideration for this seminar. Thanks for playing. Mm -hmm. And then she comes back to him a second time. And she comes back to him right after Todd's life has been saved by doctors. He's coded. They, 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 they resurrect him. The fiance, Rebecca, is so excited that he's alive. And Felicity makes a beeline for Dr. McGrath's office and is like, I want to be in this seminar because uh, to be because medicine is about people. <laughs> he's like, right, 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 right. Uh, yeah, he just looks at her and goes, okay, I mean, yeah. And <laughs> very true. And then he says, okay, so you're telling me that you are committing to being a physician. She's like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) At which point he then seems to become interested and closes the door. He's like, Mm -hmm. "Hmm, now, now I'm interested. In sales, we would call this the negative reverse. (laughs) Yeah. It's like I'm gonna disqualify you and myself, and we're and it's gonna make you more interested to have a conversation with me. Stuff like this actually does work when you don't want it to. I mean, human nature, man, we are messed up. Uh, but yeah, so he's like, All right, well, let's hear what the crazy girl has to say now. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like I just and she doesn't really back it up. She's like, I just think it's ridiculous that you would require people to commit to being a physician by being in your, to, in order to be in your seminar. He's like, isn't it kind of implied? Like, <laughs> yeah, you want med school, right? Why are you going to med school for fun? Like yeah. he just, he doesn't, it, it's like, but she really does not unpack it that much. No. And I feel like there is something to unpack there and maybe they just didn't have time or I don't think it would have taken too much extra time, but she doesn't use her words. She doesn't. (laughs) Imagine if she had just sort of like elbow leaned up onto the desk and said, look, Mr. McGrath, sometimes people in life think they want something and then they do a second thing or they switch gears. I'm not sitting, I'm not going to sit here and tell you what I'm going to do with the next rest of my life, all those decades ahead just by being in your seminar we are we're on a journey here mr mcgrath mm-hmm. i mean that doesn't feel like the conversation that you have <laughs> no <laughs> just no, still trying I to mean, get into the seminar and that's the thing is because this university doesn't strike me as one that fosters creativity uh she i don't know that she could get away with the argument of you know 
you're boxing me in. Well, that's what pre-med is. Um, or I might want to do things in addition, which could then add to, you know, what I'm learning as a doctor. Uh-huh. I mean, at this point, you want to get into the seminar. So you focus on getting into the seminar. And if you change your mind later, you change your mind later. I mean, what's he going to do? Go back in time and reject you? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, I kind of agree with Elena when she's like, are you dumb? I mean, <laughs> you, this is not a time for you to just talk through your feelings with this professor. It's a yeah, time for you He's not your you counselor. He's exactly. the, the road to a seminar you need. She's, she's very angry with Felicity for self-sabotaging. Well, and I don't know if she was self-sabotaging. Yeah, I guess that is a fundamental question here. Is she self-sabotaging? Yeah, I think she, she tanked is. the interview, but is that actually better for her or not? Well, she is consistently being herself, which is incapable of keeping her feelings inside of her. So it's not so much she's self-sabotaging as she's just being her. Yeah. And she has had a thought and therefore it must come out of her mouth. Yeah. So, you know, that's just who she is. Yeah. And then once she has it, or then she has a different emotion and now that has to come out of her mouth. And so this professor, I mean, he does take the time to hear her out. And it's really in the, I guess, the final meeting between them where she knocks on the door and puts her head in and you know he he doesn't even look up so Mm -hmm. first of all his office is amazing i mean look at that view he's got Mm -hmm. this giant office it's gorgeous he's got this giant desk and he's clearly like a top guy Mm -hmm. doesn't even look up from what he's doing just holds up this note doesn't really say anything, just kind of waits for her to come over and get the note. And I mean, he's just like too cool. He's just too, too in that moment. (laughs) And I'm just like, and this is the guy who is clearly sleeping with his students. He's gross. And he's just, you know, he's trying to be kind of, you know, I'm going to hold up this note. I have power. I'm going to try to be aloof and sexy for you. And I'm just like, oh my God, somebody slap him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, and she, she once again barged into the room apologizing to him this time. She's just like, you know what? Sorry. Uh, saw somebody's life get saved. It caused a reaction. And you're right. He just sort of holds up the letter and then lets her take it and go. Yeah. Cause he's already decided that he's that she's the kind of person he wants in his seminar, I think, because he's got this sort of, I don't know, at least it seems with female students, a bit, I mean, a bit of a complex, you know, he wants to be in control and this girl clearly needs to figure out what the hell. Um, So I don't know. I just, the whole thing made me feel like he was skeevy and I didn't like the ending relationship between the two because I could have respected him if he had just said, no, like you're out, we're done. Mm -hmm. But it's like, he pulls her in and like, I don't know. It was just a very, 
see. Yeah. I mean, it, it might also be, it's kind of hard to get into Dr. McGrath's mindset here because we don't see very much from his perspective, but I would imagine not very many people talk to him the way she did the second time she came into his room. Uh, probably not a lot of people talk to him the way she did in her interview either, but he would just wouldn't consider that because it's like, oh, you don't want the thing that I offer, so I'm not giving it to you. But the second time she comes in, she says to him, like, it's ridiculous that you expect people to commit. I, who, whoever has sat in his office and said that, you know, he is in a position of power, at least with the students. And just maybe by being different, she got his attention. So I, I don't know that that's a setup for something great, but she's thinking differently. She is being really ballsy in our conversations with him. And I imagine everybody else, it was just like one person after another coming into his office, just tripping over their own tongues and trying to figure out what to say that would be like, be exactly right. And she's saying literally everything wrong. And it's, it's just different. I don't know if that's why you let people into your class because they say everything wrong. Um, it just, I don't know, either she should have said something that was more profound and made more sense or, you know, he should have just said, no, you're not in my class. Um, it's like sense. the way they had it like work out for me, I was not buying that he was convinced by what she said. I was buying that he was convinced potentially by what she was wearing or her hair or her eyes or it felt gross. Okay. I didn't read that in because uh, I guess I'm just thinking ahead and, and know that's, they're not going to have a relationship like that. But I, but if, but if you're picking that up now, that's saying a lot, right? Because you well, we don't know exactly know. what's ahead. Yeah. But we already know that he's going to be, that he has slept with students in the past. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, not like he knows exactly who's, you know, going to be the girl. Yeah, he's just kind of keeping his options open, you figure. Yeah. That's how you read it. That's interesting. How I read it. Very interesting. Um, well, so that's one side of how she's exploring this. The other side is by physically walking into the studio. And I think that's an important development. It's an important milestone. And it's an important second track for her to be on in this episode because she's set up this fundamental uh, question of artist or doctor so we need to see her explore both in some way and she's exploring both through Dr. McGrath plus going into the studio and it's a whole other world in the studio I, I really like the lighting like the way it was filmed it was like hazy it was like a dreamlike world in there it felt stylistically like a very different place than every other place she's been in this in this uh, series so far. I'm actually going to agree with you. Wow, because <laughs> we did it. Hey, we all did this together, folks. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I love the studio. I love how it's set up. I love the lighting and how, you know, it kept shining off of her hair and you couldn't really see everything, mm -hmm. all the it was just so different than every other scene and every other place on campus yeah. or off that we've seen. 
And you know, a small detail that I noticed that I've never noticed before and should have, because it's staring you right in the face. But when she has a first conversation with Eli, who's Simon Rex, yay, Simon Rex, uh, he's here and he is a student in the art studio who's working on his own stuff. In the past, when I've watched this, I've been looking at them and their faces and I always thought, okay, they're not showing you what he's working on because the the painting is away from the camera and they're both looking at it from you know their point of view. But then I really, when I started looking at the lighting, the light is coming through the canvas and we can actually sort of make out what he's working on um, from, from the back of the canvas because the light is that strong coming, the, the natural light through the window. So I thought that was a really nice touch because it's like, yeah, we kind of can see what, he's been working on on his easel and they're having that introductory conversation. I did not notice that. What is he working on? So what you can see is that it's a figure of a human. It's a almost full figure of a human. Um, But a lot of the people in the studio, as you pan along, are working on barely these wooden block human figures that people are working on. It's not that he's actually working on a portrait of somebody. we can't we certainly can't see the level of detail but you can see the like sort of the silhouette of it and um yeah I just yeah I love I loved the haziness it felt it really did feel like just a dreamlike state in that room sort of otherworldly like she had just opened the door to Narnia Mm -hmm. starting to walk through it and Um, on the other side was Simon Rex and Taraji P. Henson (laughs) of course (laughs) As they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I loved some of the the artwork that we did get to see as you're we kind of going through. There was one girl in particular that seemed to be working on, I don't know, it almost looked like a the war scene or like post-apocalyptic scene with buildings kind of on fire. Yeah, that was um, a really cool piece. Yeah, there was there was some very interesting stuff going on there. But I I really liked everything that happened in this room. And I love the fact that, you know, she's like a kid in a candy shop and she tries everything that they have. She's trying charcoal. She's trying acrylic. She's trying watercolors. She's, I mean, it's, she's just like, I have now been told by this guy who has no authority whatsoever (laughs) that I can use all this uh this stuff so i'm just gonna like go crazy mm-hmm. and it's just fun to kind of watch her do that yeah and this actually i'm gonna just do my note from an optimist right now because felicity we have this scene where felicity goes back into the studio now that eli has been like yeah just come on in i won't say anything to anybody just come in and use the supplies so she does she comes back she draws all night and we see her, you know, they sort of pan to one side of the room. You see the, the, the sun come up and then they pan back over and she's fallen asleep onto her drawing. She's got charcoal all over the, or her face or whatever she was using. Um, and she, just that feeling of like getting so immersed in something that you're passionate about that you don't even notice the time that's gone by, whatever it is, if it's something or someone, just that that feeling of really getting lost in something and not even noticing the time. 
I think that's such a special thing when that happens. Um, and you know, she, I don't know if she's ever experienced it before. Like what has she done before that she loved so much that the sun came up and there she was still, you know, recovering from a, a night of doing the thing. So I, I think optimistically, I wish everybody can have a feeling like that at some point, hopefully multiple times in your life where it's just like, oh, wow, how did it get to be morning already? This is amazing. Um, or whatever time of day you work best, right? But this is a, a really special feeling and I'm glad for Felicity that she's had it. And I don't know if we've ever seen her get that lost in something before. Well, we never got to see her, you know, be an artist in high school. Mm-hmm. But this may be, you know, some kind of experience that she'd had there, maybe not on this scale because she'd been depriving herself of it. And now she has, you know, everything at her fingertips. Um, but, you know, maybe when she got that that paint set from Todd way back when, maybe she had another experience like this. I mean, yeah. it certainly has been important enough to her that she's coming back to it. over and over again. Who knows? I do want to say that something we've never talked about, but I was, when I realized a few episodes in that we had never mentioned it, I thought, when would be the right person, right time to bring this up? And I thought this was the episode. So the opening credits, we've never really talked about the opening credits. Um, They have different opening credits for seasons three and four, but we've got these opening credits for this first season where it's just a lot of still shots of different members of the cast in different New York locations, mostly external shots. Um, There's a very artistic feel to the credits for season one. And not only is it the photography, but also the music behind it. Um, You know, that, that sort of like, no words, you know, woman's voice song in the background really puts an artsy feel to the show that never really did bear out in Felicity's pre-med track. So the fact that we're getting her back in an art studio now really feels like it's tying together the vibe they were giving me and how they open the show. Yeah, I wish they had stuck with these credits all the way through. Um, I remember sort of the new ones were a bit more the poppy sitcom. Does that seem right? Mm-hmm. They were like group shots and yeah, new like version of you. music. Yeah. And yeah, no, I like this one much better. And uh, I also love it because uh, and this is just, you know, a little thing for the, the audience to know about every time it comes on, um, Melissa sings along with it. Yes. So if I remember. it's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. And if she doesn't remember, I remind her. There's a lot of me going, oh, hey, oh like that. And it's yeah. uh, it's pretty exciting for us. Yeah, it's, it's nice. Um, it it yeah. gives me like, you know, picks me up for for the rest of the weekend and, and gets me into the next week. You oh, know, just, that's nice. Yeah. I'm here for you. Thanks. That's how it works. But yeah, I think there's a lot of love for these credits. Uh, you know, way back when I was looking at YouTube videos of both theme songs. And I saw a ton of people with really great feedback about 
these opening credits and this you know the photos are really lovely mm-hmm. if you if you sit with that for a minute I know they go by kind of quickly but if you really sit and look at the photos they're really beautiful shots yeah. it's sort of like a love letter both to the cast and to New York yeah I agree but um, yeah I guess they probably picked up the new ones because that was the thing to do, but I don't know. I do wish, I wish they had stuck with these. Yeah. I'm, I don't actually know why they changed them. Maybe we can look into that a little bit more when we get to that change, but I, there's so many shows that have the same credits for their entire run or they'll modify the credits. Like I remember, what was it? Veronica Mars. They changed the version of the song that they were using, but they had the same song. Um, and I've seen other shows where they'll make minor modifications to credits every single episode, but that, but that's part of their vibe. That's part of their style. So it is unusual to see a show switch their opening credits partway through. I'm not, I can't think off the top of my head of other shows that have done that. I feel like there's a number of shows that do maybe like the first four or five episodes with one set of credits before maybe they had a chance to shoot mm-hmm. the new ones. Um, and then there's a lot that have sort of a long version of the credits and a short version of the credits. Mm-hmm. So that, cause sometimes you just kind of go into the show and they don't want to show you the full thing. I kind of like what people do now, um, which is there aren't really credits anymore. You just pretty much get into the show because once you've seen it, you've seen it. And unless it actually is really nice, like these earlier ones, you kind of just want to watch the show. Yeah. Um, like I don't need the poppy credits for three minutes. You got me into the hundred recently and I actually did like their credits and they modified them slightly each season, but they had the same music. Uh, but then you look at something like, you know, JJ Abrams, his later work. Um, well, Alias had consistent stuff that was happening, but then like Lost, <laughs> it's just like the floating word Lost across the screen. That was it. That's all you're getting. Just Which I was just fine with. I was like, yeah. okay. Um, but I can always listen to these early ones because they're nice. Yeah, they're nice. And I get to sing along with them. So that's fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's mostly that. It contributes to the artistic style of the show. So, and so, yeah, I mean, We've certainly been unpacking the art versus doctor question, but there are other things that happened in this show <laughs> with other humans. Yes. So maybe we should look at some of those. I will, uh, let, let's look at Javier and Ben. Yes, I did like these scenes. Oh, these guys. Oh, my goodness. They're Javier great. walks up to Ben and says, you know, look at me. What, or what do you think when you see me or look at me and Ben's just looking at him like he's confused and Javier says do I look fat and Ben being who he is mm-hmm. just kind of laughs and is like yeah a little bit <laughs> and I expected Javier to be all huffy about it and he just wraps his whole body around <laughs> Ben in this hug and is like, yes, this is amazing. Like, this is what we do in my family. The most important things to us are brutal honesty and arugula. (laughs) (laughs) I just, 
Oh, it's so great. And the thing is, it sounds really rough the way you just said it. Ben <laughs> does deliver it with brutal honesty. And he's like, well, you, you're a little, you're kind of, you could, you, you could afford to, yeah, a little bit. And he finally lands on, yeah, you're a little bit fat. Right. And then he sees He's not sure, like this is his new boss, right? He, the words have come out of his mouth. Yeah, a little bit. And now he wants to take him back. So then he spends 10 seconds being like, well, I mean, it didn't really mean exactly, you know, it's not that I'm saying you're, you're not really. And then he is interrupted by Javier's hug. So yeah. I just really enjoy that. Ben's instinct is honesty. And he also has enough self-awareness to be like, I think I messed this up. <laughs> like, I think I just caused a huge problem for myself. This could be the reason I get fired on my first day or whatever day it is for him. And, and then he offers, again, being Ben, he's he's like, oh, you know, you. I was on the track team. I could help you lose some weight. Like we could put together a diet together. And Javier is not really thinking about that. He's just thinking, you know, you bet you look good in running shorts. That's pretty much it, right? Yeah. That's all he's that's got where in his, mind. That's where his mind is. And that and Ben, please, the hat now. I just feel like we get, yes, put your hat on. I treasure your candor, but put your hat on. Um, <laughs> I love it. We What we're getting in this episode with Ben and Javier is just these tiny vignettes of wonderful moments that actually tell you everything you need to know about their relationship. And we'll get more and more from them as time goes on, but we got this one. And then we have the whole Ben's trying to figure out how to make a mocha and he's oh. just abusing the machine. He, he doesn't know how to use the machine properly. Well, he has contempt for it. Yes. He's <laughs> like, you have to respect the machine. I do respect the machine. No, you clearly have contempt. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, it's so great. I, I also enjoy that he's now like showing Ben how to use it. And he says, and I quote, turn the knob the way you would want to be turned if you were to be a knob. Yep. <laughs> I wrote that down too. <laughs> Just a I, little, little life advice for Ben. Every single episode, I we mark it with a quote. Yep. And... I have a lot to pick from, from Javier, but it's going to be a Javier quote. <laughs> I just feel like this, this is going to continue to be a fruitful and wonderful relationship for us to watch. It really will. It'll, and it'll develop into stuff that has, you know, more important plot points behind it as well, but I'm happy with this for now. Oh. <laughs> like give me the buddy comedy. I mean, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna be watching to see if Javier ever actually does get Ben to put on this hat, because mm -hmm. I think it would be hilarious if he never puts it on during yeah. the entire show. That would that would be fun, right? We'll see how it goes. And then uh, now that Ben has been educated on how to make a proper mocha, Noel shows up and wants a mocha. Yeah. And he gets one, uh -huh. a great one. A good one he's very happy with. Yeah. And, Thank goodness uh, for the tutorial. Exactly. I mean, now that that Ben respects the machine and is pulling its knobs correctly. The, the way he would want to be turned if he were to be a knob. Exactly. Um, uh -huh. A little more empathy with the machine. <laughs> um, the two guys 
they've gotten to the point where they can talk about girls, yeah. you know, and that's sort of the, you know, uh, you got past the sports stage, probably because Noel doesn't know anything about sports. And maybe you got past the car stage because, again, Noel knows nothing about cars, mm-hmm. just a guess. And they but can't they, talk about invite-only parties because only Ben's yeah, been invited to those. That's true. Um, but they've finally gotten to this point where they can talk about the girls that they are, I, I guess, dating. I'm a, I'm still a little on the fence with what's going on between Ben and Julie. Did mm-hmm. they ever officially say they were dating? Um, but they're sharing. They're sharing with each other. Yeah. And there's definitely like a, what's going on with these women sort of conversation they're having. And they're yeah. comparing war stories of the women in their lives being crazy is yeah, how they're putting it. You just, that's not a thing you can say in front of women. This is how, this is what you say to your guy friends. Uh-huh. They're acting crazy. Women, uh-huh. women be crazy. Yeah. Um, I'm using the word women here so that we can keep this one episode from being explicit. But you know what the phrase is. Uh-huh. So yeah, Julie's got her, her tape um that she's mailed off and felicity is really concentrating on this guy todd and the boys don't know what to do they just don't know what to make of it they're just it's the women's world and they're just living in it right now that's it yep well and and javier's world and also javier yeah but mostly the women let's talk well let's talk about julie yeah Cause they don't, you know, they actually don't give a whole lot of screen time to the storyline, but no. my goodness, is it developing quickly? It's very odd. I mean, the whole, I feel like this whole episode has a bit of a surreal feeling to it. And I wrote it down a couple of times. Um, and so we see Julie and Carol and they're starting to bond, you know, they've got the stuff in common. Julie has sent this tape out. She could have just grabbed it back, but she doesn't uh, because she's going to get in a cab with Carol and Carol drops her bag. And Julie has finally sent this tape in and it's on the ground and she could have just grabbed it back, but she doesn't. She picks it up and she hands it back to Carol. So I felt in that moment it, it wasn't just her not really thinking about it, but she really does want this woman who she likes and sees herself in to be her mother. And so she wants her to know. So she does that. And then we get this just, I don't know. I thought it was a very touching scene between Julie and Carol. And it just makes me like Carol a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's the two things, right? There's the Julie's mailed the tape. And before Carol has opened it, but she has it in her hand or, you know, has received it, they talk about Carol rediscovering her guitar because of the conversations she's had with Julie. And I think that's really nice, right? Julie is bringing some stuff up to the surface for Carol. She hasn't thought about in a really long time, but then she does open the tape. Yes. And the conversation, you know, next day at the office, she calls Julian. 
she's like, I'm not your mom. Yeah, but she's, she's really nice about it. You know, she says, can I talk to you? And Julie comes over and sits kind of nervously in this chair and she just keeps talking kind of like she's, she's nervous. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, Carol looks at her and says, got your tape. I'm not your mother. I never gave up a baby. Mm -hmm. And Julie gets really upset. You know, she's saying, but you know, the guitar and, and, you know, this, that, and the other. And Carol's just like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I would remember if I had a child and I gave it up and, you know, Julie, she is, she's, she's upset. So she just kind of stands up and quits. And I, on the one hand, I get it. On the other hand, I mean, you know, she's young, fine, but very unprofessional. She's like, I'm only here, you know, to learn about you. And since you're not my mother, I'm going to quit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Carol, I think is really nice. She, she kind of leans forward and says, you know, good luck, honey. Like she doesn't call her out. She doesn't anything. She just says good luck. And then we eventually see, um, during the, the dear Felicity part of the dear Sally tape, uh, Julie just crying on the sofa and, uh, been trying to comfort her a little weirdly by sort of petting her mm-hmm. um but still you know she's she's crushed by this yeah her hopes were up and you know she's no longer she's no longer going to be an intern which makes a lot of sense because she never wanted to be an architect and carol's not her mom so this is this is where she's at she's let go of the internship and she just needs to be consoled and, you know, I mean, maybe that's the end of this. I assume it's not, but I, since, I don't, since I don't remember what happens, I just have to go off of what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a blow to her. Definitely a blow. I mean, you know, if you, if, if you think you found your mom and somebody, a professional helped you find this person, and you moved to New York for this reason, and now took an internship. Yeah, and it's now it's fun. not a thing. It must feel like a real setback in terms of like, well, well, is it possible to ever find this person? I'm wondering how she knew. Like, how did she know to come to New York? Because I'm led to believe that the private investigator found Carol quite a few episodes into the show. And she had already moved to New York. So how would you know that? She said at the beginning, she knew that her mom was in New York. She just didn't know where. Okay. And so then she hires the private investigator to find out her name and address, which I find a little odd that he has tracked down this woman and has her name and address and she's never given up a baby because how would he have found her name and address? Mm Mm-hmm. Like what, where's the connection there? Yeah. Well, who knows? I mean, that's the part you're getting stuck on. And the part I'm getting stuck on is how did Julie even have enough information to know this woman was in New York at all? 
Yeah, I don't think she tells us. I think she just says, oh, well, I knew she she lives in New York. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, they do a lot with that. And for a relatively small amount of screen time for yeah. this particular story. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, Julie still doesn't know her birth parents, right? So like, this is not going to quench a thirst. It's just going to be a, a setback for her. And where is she going to go from here? I don't know. I mean, maybe she'll be a little more circumspect next time. Um, but we'll have to see like how far it pushes her because she wasn't in exactly a great place. Mm-hmm. And then she kind of went off on this kick, uh, maybe without fully healing. And so I just don't know what it's going to look like in the next There's few There's definitely episodes. a lot of dark stuff that's happened for her recently. So she has a lot to recover from. And, you know, that's going to, you know, it's going to be a journey. Yeah. But But, I do like how supportive Ben is being. I mean, yeah, we don't see him say like, I told you so. Even though he's probably thinking it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I, I don't know how else to make myself clear. I saw this coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But he's not doing that. No, he's. But the other thing I liked was that Noel was actually supportive, even though Felicity has not been treating him very well Uh um, in this episode and is, in fact, obsessed with some other guy and herself. Uh Um, But at the end, you know, and he, Noel has been having to deal with a few things. You know, he's got. Felicity on the one hand, he's having to talk to Ben on the other. He's got Richard just driving him insane. Let's definitely come back to that. Uh Um, But I really like this moment towards the end where Noel, he gets that whatever is going on has to do with art. And this guy, Todd, has something to do with it. And so he takes all of this information that he has, which is Uh really not that much art and Todd Uh and he brings art into his own world so that he can connect with Felicity. He says, you know, Todd taught me how to use this computer program and you can scan artwork into it and you can do art on the computer. Uh And so anytime you want to do that, like we, we can do that. Yeah. And I, I just really appreciated that. And I thought they had a fantastic kiss, which did not look like he was trying to eat her face. Um, and I will not, I will not be persuaded, persuaded otherwise. otherwise. Yes. Okay. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. I will hold my comments. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that was a nice gesture. I think that he is being more moldable. I think he decided what's my priority in this situation. He could be niggling at her. Like, why do you keep running off? Why do you keep talking about this other guy? He's had a moment of self-reflection here and thought, what's at the root of this, you know, and I can't just be dismissive of something that's obviously becoming a very important journey for her. So maybe there's a way I can make it so that she doesn't have to be away from me in order to pers- like, I, like I'm accepting it and I'm giving, I'm, I'm going to help her with it. And 
instead of this splitting us apart, maybe we can just grow with it together. And it's a big decision for him. You know, I think that's a mature way to approach this. Mm-hmm. And she seems to appreciate it. You know, the gesture that he's made really de-escalates the situation. I don't know if it needed to still be de-escalated. She was in such a, a, a tense space when he first approached her about it earlier in the episode, but that's where they had left off. So he has de-escalated this by saying, you don't have to choose me or art. That's not a thing you have to like, in fact, you know, the same way that she's thinking like art or medicine, he's saying it's not art or medicine or no, you know, it's, whatever you want, we're working on it together. Um, so I think the ability to take the or out and replace it with an and is becoming really important here. Yeah. And I guess I, I don't really see this as a problem solving moment for him. Um, even though he's creating a situation which is better for all of them, mm-hmm. I don't think he's trying to solve something for her. So I also kind of appreciated that about it. Yeah, he was just giving her space to do what she wanted to do within the context of their relationship. Yeah. But you had mentioned Richard and I think we need to <sighs> explore that a little bit, right? So, cause they need to have some wild times here with Richard. Richard's mm-hmm. doing his latest ridiculous thing. Mm-hmm. What is it? It's a hand modeling agency. It's prime digits hand modeling agency. (laughs) So poor Noel walks in and just sees all of these women sitting around in long white gloves. Mm -hmm. He's going, what's going on here? But I bet Richard's behind whatever's going on here. And he finds, yes, indeed, Richard is behind what's going on here. Richard has cards made and he is interviewing people and he's got the top, the top hand models there. I mean, they, they really have been featured in, what was it? Like Revlon and national campaigns of all sorts. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly he knew how to advertise. Yeah. I really wanted to see his business card. I wish they would have shown us that that would have been awesome, but they didn't alas. But, uh, you know, Noel, of course, tries to be an RA for a second. And he's like, you can't run a business from your dorm room. And then Richard's like, well, most people can't. But since I know you're fraternizing, (laughs) I can. Yep. Yeah. Uh, And I just, you know, throughout the the show, I mean, Richard, I think probably always makes it about himself. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was just one more thing in a whole series of people doing that for this episode, but I was less bothered by it with Richard, but yeah, he's unabashedly opportunistic. That's him always. (laughs) So, you know, it's fine. He, you know, and I enjoyed the moment when he's having this uh, really coming to a stalemate with Noel that he's going to win though. Cause even though it's a stalemate, he's still got this thing that he's lording over Noel. And Charlotte, the hand model, comes up and she's like, yeah. is everything all right here? And the camera work, it just shows her hand, like the flourish of her hands yeah. as she's trying to gesture around, like gestures you wouldn't make for, is everything all right here? But she's so used to modeling. <laughs> it's like a showcase on Price is Right, but the, <laughs> instead of a refrigerator, it's Noel's face. Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh my goodness. So Richard continues to do everything he can do to make his life better and thwart Noel. And so when Noel and Felicity are having that conversation at the end, Richard's not sure, is this going to end up in a breakup or is it going to end up with them staying together? And he's got flyers made ready to sell the satellite dish and he's ready to disband his business for the prime digits hand modeling agency. He's ready to let it all go if they're going to break up or keep it going if they're going to stay together. And Felicity and Noel have their, you know, very uh, sweet conversation and they're staying together, but Noel wants to fake a fight for Richard's sake. He, he fakes a fight so that Richard thinks they're breaking up anyway. Yep. And then Richard has to, has to post his flyer that he's going to sell the satellite and kind of huff off. And I assume this will come back to bite Noel in the butt later. Who knows these, these kids, what can you do with these kids? Uh, I just enjoy that. We know exactly what Richard is and they continue to deliver the same Richardness to us each time. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's consistent. I, you know, by the end of this episode, as I said, I was slightly annoyed. So I do just have like Richard equals worm written down. <laughs> I'm just okay. like, he's a little worm. Yeah. He he's just wormy. looks for his angle in any event. Yeah. Well, there was one more character that we saw for a hot second. And while we still are not getting a lot of time with her, Yes. We're always getting consistent information about her. We've got Megan. Yeah. Who I think, you know, has, has the right response, which is, uh, did Todd die yet? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She just has questions really. Did Todd die yet? Did Felicity blow you off? Cause that's not good. I mean, yeah. she gets to the heart of the matter real quick and she does so with an infected nose because yeah. In the last episode, Todd helped her pierce her nose, and now her nose is infected. She's still a little salty about it, so she wants to know. Yeah. Is the guy who infected my nose dead yet? Yeah. I mean, this is all we get from her, but it lines up with everything else we know about her so far. Yeah, and the only reason that Noel is there in the first place is to ask where Felicity is. And all Megan can say to that is, I can't wait for you to stop asking me that. Yeah, like, what, is there ever going to be a time mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're not approaching me, asking me about Felicity? And she doesn't answer the question. She just asks her own and then shuts the door right in his face. And he has to yell through the door. We'll tell her that I was here. Yeah. I mean, she's nothing if not consistent. That's true. Yeah. Well, shall we talk about what Sally said and what Sally meant? Yes, I think that is a good idea. So here we've got our segment, uh, a much known, much beloved segment about obviously, you know, Felicity leaves tapes for Sally at the start of the episode. And we got another tape from Sally at the end of this one. Last time we didn't because it was a part one of part two. So it's been a couple times, a couple episodes since we've gotten to hear anything from Sally. But I'm going to tell you what Sally said. Fish knows what Sally really meant. What was behind the words? So here we go. Dear Felicity, July 21st, 1969. Well, I'm glad you got that seminar. I was five years old. I still remember sitting on my dad's lap, watching Neil Armstrong taking his first step 
from Apollo 11 into the Sea of Tranquility. You and Elena. I don't remember exactly when I decided, but I feel like I always knew I would be the first woman to walk on the moon. But mostly I'm happy you remembered. I was obsessed with Valentina Tereshkova, who was the first woman in space. She was only 26 and did it the year before I was born. You're an artist. She was a Russian cosmonaut. It was the 60s, so it was hard to get a lot of information about her. It's funny. I've been thinking about what you said. I dressed up as an astronaut for Halloween. I put paper stars and planets all over my room. My dad thought it was funny. My mom just seemed sad. How one day you'll have to figure out what you are. I didn't understand why when I was 10. They had already sent 12 people to the moon, all men. But by 13, I started wondering where all the women are. But then I look at myself. I'm almost 34, and I'm still trying to figure out who I am. By 19, when Sally Ride, the first American woman, made it into space, I was planning to be a teacher. And I was. I was also a bartender, a dog walker, a singer, a ski instructor, and for three magical months, a carny. So maybe that search isn't just something that happens in college. I'm not sorry I've taken this journey. It's 1999 now, and there still has never been a woman on the moon. Now that I'm out of witness protection, I'm going to see if Emmett can, book, can hook me up with one of his government contacts. It's a search that continues the rest of our lives. It might seem like a long shot, but I have a feeling the moon's still waiting for me. There we go. A little she, background. She just, it's like, we don't know a thing about her. Well, we're learning. And yeah. may I just say for the record, it is now 2022 and there has still never been a woman on the moon. <sighs> Oaks, what do we have to do? So, you know, Sally, Sally's dream did not come true. For her but, or anybody. Uh, well, any woman. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we know now not only what she wanted to be, but also that uh, she's a carny. So she was quite the multi hyphenate. You know, yeah. Just yeah. trying some different things out there. May wow. or may not come up in other later tapes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I just continue to be impressed with the journey, is yeah. all. I learned something new about her every episode or almost every episode. Yeah. The ones that have a dear Sally tape anyway, or a dear Felicity tape. Well, another thing we continue to learn about is uh, our listeners. Mm -hmm. And here we go. The, after you listen to this tape, you have to erase its segment. I wanted to share a comment we got recently on Instagram. Um, in response to, uh, you know, obviously fish, You've been critical of the clothing choices in recent episodes, uh, all episodes. Just, just, just a little. Just a, a little. little bit. 
And we heard from at Ruby and Simba 13, who, so she loves the podcast or whoever this is. They say they love the the podcast, but they also have some thoughts about why with the clothing choices. So they say, you have to remember that when they were casting for this role, they were initially looking for a plain studious type girl who was not particularly attractive. So when they cast Carrie, they really had to downplay her because she's so obviously beautiful. That's why all the sweaters and awkward clothing choices. We see her kind of blossom the last season. And I think that went alongside her growing confidence. I think that's a really good point. And I'll, I think the, the changes happened earlier. Um, I think we'll see and notice Fishy and I were talking about this a little bit, but there's going to be a aesthetic shift even as early as season two. And I think it came out of a network note. I think it was like, we need more color. We need more, um, just, just make them look like humans. Uh, so, (laughs) so I think we're going to start to see some of those shifts happen as early as season two and, and Ruby and Simba 13 is saying like even season four, there's, uh, even more of a shift, uh, but I do think that tracks really well with Felicity becoming more confident, becoming more really matching. Cause I think she's always been analytical, self-analytical, but I think that she's also been hard on herself and had a lot of real questions about who she is. And I think she starts to get more answers as time goes on. And I believe that will track with her progression and clothing choices. So I, I like that we're attaching that to story here. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know this uh, at the time and I guess, I mean, it makes sense that, that they wanted to dress her in an ugly way, I guess, <laughs> if they wanted her to, to be less attractive somehow, but I, I don't know. I mean, she really is gorgeous. And I think to this point, the stuff, she, well, she had been in the Mickey Mouse Club, so that's sort of an exception to the rule here, but she had been in a couple other roles where she was like, really like the hot girl, you know, like she was, they didn't play her down at all. And she was the object of affection. And I think they had a work to do just because she is beautiful, but they also were overcoming maybe anybody who had seen her in other stuff. They had to sort of figure out how to, I don't know like Ruby and Simba 13 says, make her more plain. Yeah. I mean, if that was the goal, they've done a very good job. (laughs) I will say that they, they have made some questionable fashion choices that now seem like the correct call, if that's what you were going for. And I mean, we do still have Julie and some interesting stuff. I, I am trying, I mean, this whole episode for me is just one big rant. So I figured I wouldn't go too deep into it, but those purple tights. They, I think, um, and I I can't remember. Well, I mean, I'm never somebody who really remembers clothing choices. I want to say Julie's style changes a little bit over time too, but I think in season one, I think of her as eclectic. 
Um, yeah, she's a she's pattern been... mixer. She like, you just never know what she's going to wear. Yeah, but she's had some like really nice things that go together that are still eclectic. Mm -hmm. And then she's had some like epic fails. Um, mm -hmm. And this, this was one of them. But that's okay. You know, she's still she has her own sense of style. And, you know, making a choice to wear those really bright purple tights. I mean, at least it's a choice, you mm -hmm. know, it's not like an olive green or brown heavy cable knit sweater. Yeah. So at I can see the difference between the two, like eclectic choice, Julie, plain Jane, Carrie. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, well, there you have it. Just another take on it. Maybe the style was part of the show and part of the story I mean, for that matter. And, and I am glad that it's going to become lighter because one thing that always bugged me about 90s TV, um, and this happened across a number of different shows, is that they had this dark lighting and it actually made it very hard to see on the TV what was yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, Stuff in Felicity's room is especially hard because like, it's just, it's like brown shades, brown everywhere. And it's, it, it's very like neutral tones, but it can be, it, like you said, it feels dark. It is actually dark. dark There's a to lot see. of shat, like even in this episode, um, when Felicity's sitting on the bench waiting for the interview, there's just this huge shadow right over her face and the whole dark tone of it. I mean, it happened quite a bit through like something like Buffy, right? Where mm -hmm. a lot of stuff happens at night, but even during the day, there were a lot of shadows. Um, and if you compare that to like a 90210, where it was very bright all the time and all of the buildings were white, and they were outside, um, you know, it's just a huge difference. And I'm looking forward to being able to actually see people. Yeah, that'll be nice. That'll be a nice thing when we get there. Um, for now, we've got a little bit more time with this aesthetic and that's, you know, we'll, we'll grow to love it, I'm sure, or hate it and then be happy when it's gone. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. We appreciate each for the role they play. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm curious to see where we've landed in terms of ratings on this one. Fish, I'll, I'll start with you uh, because my goodness, I've been all over the place. Yeah, and I've been consistent, but not happy. Hmm. So, um and again i don't know and like if i watch this on a different day if i would have a different feeling and mm -hmm. so i probably will go back and watch it on a different day but today the whole show pissed me off ah. and that's just what i'm left with so you know i mean i again i did really like the art scene i think that was great I love the scenes between Javier and Ben, but I, I think those are just going to continue. Um, so I, I was just going to give this one a six, six gloves out of 10. Like I, I didn't like it. I didn't like any of the characters in it. I felt like they showed a lot of stuff that was not kind or human or like thinking about anyone but themselves and i'm just looking forward to more episodes where they actually you know 
consider each other real people mm-hmm. and start acting like they have some sort of like empathy and uh, care for one yeah. another again. Yeah. Well, for me, this episode, I pretty much usually when I write down my rating, I keep it there. Maybe I modify it once by a little bit. I have six crossouts. I have written seven oh. different ratings down. <laughs> wow. With a fairly wide spread between them because I don't actually know what I think about this episode. I will start by saying that my unit of measurement is going to be slow medics. Ah. Now, I know some of you listeners at home or at work or wherever you're listening, you were shouting Malamars. Uh, (laughs) I mean, you didn't do it last time. Uh, Yep. You thought maybe you were going to get it this time. I'm acknowledging Malamars, but it's not my rating system this time, guys, because I just couldn't look away from the slow medics. (laughs) I really appreciate, Fish, that you gave me a good reasoning behind why they were so (laughs) slow. But I just thought, like, what is this? What is happening right now? I, I couldn't I couldn't get over it. And so that is my rating system. I ended up with 6.4 out of 10 slow medics. Yeah. Now, I'm really sorry to the sixth or seventh medic. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much of, you know, it's, I don't know where you split that body. But um, 6.4. <sighs> How do I walk us through how I got there, though? I mean, before you walk us through, what was your lowest and highest? That is my lowest. My highest was 8.5. Wow. It was a huge, huge spread. Most of my numbers were seven or six or like in the seven or six range. And when you changed them, was it you changed them during the episode or you did all of these after you'd seen the whole thing? I, I did the first rating immediately after I saw the episode. And then as we were discussing it, my feelings about it continued to shift. Oh, so basically I brought you down. Well, talking because, because the thing is I needed to unpack this episode and the more I unpacked it, the more I realized I'm not sure they did too much. I think. There's a lot, a lot, like I have never written so many notes on an episode before. There's a lot that they did. And there have been episodes where they've done a lot and it worked well for me. In this one, it just felt like they shoehorned so much in. And I think it was a little too much. I think if they had maybe removed a plot line, it could have freed us up a lot Um, and maybe allowed us to deal with some of the things that you saw as problematic, but they just had to get through a whole bunch of story points. The reason that I thought as high as an 8.5 was I was just blown away by how much they've set up for the future in this episode and the last episode, but especially this episode, this episode planted seeds that will bear out for seasons to come. It has given us a lot of things that we really need to know. It's given us new characters. Uh, It's given us 
it's just given us a lot of stuff. It's opened us up into the art world for Felicity. There's so much heavy lifting that got done. I applaud them for trying to get all this done. But as we really started going into the episode, I found that they had done it all very shallowly for me or some of the things very shallowly. So I wanted more from it that we're not going to get because they did a lot. So that's why there was so much variation. Um, And that's, yeah, it's something I was only really able to get through by saying, how much did we actually see of all this stuff that was, that was discovered? I do like the fact that they were trying to play with the comedy plus the heaviness, the seriousness, because I do think that Felicity exists in both of those worlds as a show. And I want it to be introspective. I want it to make you feel, I want it to make you think, I want it to deal with deep questions and I want the humor. And I like that they did both. They just did too many other things in the process for me. Yeah, I agree. I think if, if they had removed the whole art studio from this episode and put it in, in a different one, like maybe the next episode, and then Felicity could have stayed in the hospital a little bit more and been more of a person. And, you know, yeah. I still could have gotten through the rest of it because I really liked that one scene. But I feel like she still could have talked about art or maybe just pulled out the pencils or something and done some sketching. And you still could have had the rest of the episode. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I would have given probably a much higher rating to both this episode and the one with the art scene in it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what I would have pulled out and put into another episode, but I think something kind of needed to be, and all of that, remembering that when we opened this podcast, I read a TV guide summary that also included yeah. that this episode <laughs> involved Elena severing ties with Tara. Can you even imagine if they had tried to do that in this episode too. Oh. Yeah. And when you originally read that, and I know this is going to be weird because I probably have just made this up in my mind since I don't usually remember things, but I feel like I kind of remember Elena having a talk with Tara, Tara, whatever her name is, <laughs> and saying, like, we're done, you know? Um, well, I, I guess... We look a lot of people who listen to this show and who know Felicity know it really, really, really well. I don't remember the original airings very well, if at all. And so um, I have no recollection of if in the original there was that scene and then it got cut when they did DVDs or streaming versions. If anybody remembers that scene, yeah, please illuminate us. I'd like to see it. Um, Apparently it was supposed to happen in this episode. I don't, I honestly, had they tried to do that plus all the other things they did, my brain would have exploded. It would not be pretty. It wouldn't be good. Please keep all of your brain matter inside your head. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Please do let us know though, because I may have just completely made up something in my own head. Um, And I'd like to know whether it's real. I mean, I think it, it's something that needed to be done. I wish we would have gotten that, that scene. I would like to see it because Elena and Tara, Tara were best friends. 
childhood yeah. friends. Tara was there for her when her mom was dying. She transfers into school, presumably for a whole semester. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, hooks up with Blair some number of times after I would imagine Elena's talked to Tara about Blair. Yeah, and could what, still be where did she go? Like she just evaporated into thin air, you know, like that can't be. Yeah. Agreed. Especially if you have core curriculum where potentially you're gonna run into people in class, like get just explain it to us somehow. Like she didn't have to have transferred in. Yeah. You know, they could have just said she's visiting or she's here to, she's at a nearby school or I don't know, give us, place her in New York without having her matriculate. (laughs) Then we might solve some of these problems because then I could understand why we would never see her again. But I'm, see, I'm getting all caught up in something that wasn't even (laughs) a story. Yeah, listeners, so if anybody remembers this being a scene that you saw in the original airing, or if you have any other feedback, or let's see, fan art, anything you want to share with us about the podcast, you can write to us at themelissafish at gmail.com. That's the Melissa with one L, two S's, themelissafish at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Felicity Podcast. Come join us there. There's so many cool Felicity fans hanging out on our page. Um, we love them. They're the best period. And also if you are interested to be informed when the, uh, when the podcast comes out, when we drop new episodes, you can sign up for our newsletter. You can find a link for that in the show notes. So you don't have to guess when it's coming out. We'll just tell you, but having said all that, the next one we've got coming up is an episode entitled love and marriage. Love and marriage, love and marriage. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. So that's the one. That's the one we're going to get. And uh, Fish just sang another show theme song, getting us there. I did. Well, yep. it's also a Frank Sinatra song. It's also that. So love and marriage. That's the one we're going to get. Fish, anything else that you want to talk about before we close out? Nope. I think that's everything I got. The show pissed me off. I'm going to watch it again. I will check in with you guys after the next episode to let you know how I felt on a different day. Ah, that would be interesting to see. Yes. I mean, it's a letdown, right? Because you were full 10 out of 10 gloves for Tom Mulcahy part one. The show had two very different feelings across the two episodes. So I was not expecting you to have the same interpretation of this one. Yeah. But it really, this might be our lowest rated one so far. Well, yeah, but in all fairness, I I did drag you down on this one. Well, I dragged myself down. (laughs) <laughs> I, I started getting into the meat of it and thought, what's here? What is here exactly? Mm-hmm. Not enough. So, Not enough. Eh. well, I think we've, we've done it. We've said all the things we wanted to say. We're bracing ourselves for love and marriage next time around. And that's pretty much it, Fish. So until next time, don't hook up with Ben while I'm gone. I'm Fish. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.